0: So on this day, some 2000 years ago, a man named Jesus from a relatively obscure town called Nazareth was put to death outside the capital city of Jerusalem by the occupying Roman army. But with the will of the Jewish ruling elite and with the approval of the crowds and masses of people that were in Jerusalem that day. And so this is a thing that we have gathered here on Friday to celebrate. And what an odd thing to celebrate. We're celebrating somebody being put to death, someone being executed. And this is something we're celebrating that happened 2,000 years ago in a relatively obscure town. It is strange. And yet this is what Christians have been celebrating for the last 2,000 years throughout the world. And so tonight... I know that one of the temptations that comes is this is Good Friday. And for us, it's just the ritual thing that we do on Easter weekend. It's that strange service that's on a Friday instead of the normal Sunday. And we've gathered here to just do our Easter duty. And what I hope to do this evening is actually to stir in us a bit of awe as we reflect and think about what happened on that night 2,000 years ago. And so that we can join with the other Christians throughout the world and throughout history who've been celebrating the death of Jesus for so long. And I want to do that by looking actually at the first person who celebrated Jesus's death. And it's a surprising thing because the first person to celebrate the death of Jesus was the one who was overseeing his execution. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three of the four biographers of Jesus's life, all recount that a Roman centurion was the first one to respond to the death of Jesus when it occurred. Mark says it this way in Mark 15, 39. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man is the son of God. And Matthew says it this way in Matthew 27, 54, when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the son of God. And Luke in 23, 47 says, now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. And so the first question that comes is, wait, wait, what did he say? Did he say this man was the son of God or this man was innocent? And there's no reason why he couldn't have said both. Every biographer is selecting and choosing and summarizing what is said and done in order to get across a point. And here, the gospel writers have each chosen a different sentence. Most likely he said even more than either one of those sentences. But notice in Matthew, it says that he said it with a sense of awe. Luke says that he said it in a sense of praising God. How strange. Because clearly that means he's not celebrating that he put to death a troublemaker who was causing Rome's problem. It it shows that he's not celebrating a job well done. He's in awe at what he had just witnessed. And so here's the first celebration of the death of Christ. And it's in the mouth of one of his executioners. The centurion wouldn't have been a Jewish male. He was most likely from another country. And so therefore he's not looking for a Messiah. That wasn't what he was thinking about. He wasn't looking for somebody to come and make things right. He was there to do a job. And as a soldier, he had likely seen many people die and many people be executed. So his awe wasn't at the shock experience of seeing someone die for the first time. And not only that, him changing his mind and perspective on what happened would have been a, you know, came at some cost to him because his own supervisors were the ones who condemned Jesus and commanded that he be executed. He had participated in that execution. There'd be a sense of his own guilt and he had participated or allowed the mocking of Jesus along the way, the beating of Jesus that happened at his trial, after his trial, on the way to the cross, and even while Jesus was on the cross. It's quite likely the centurion was participating in all of that, but if nothing else, he allowed it. And yet, there was something about the way that Jesus died that made this man say that Jesus must have been the Son of God. What was it about the way that Jesus died and the events that surrounded his death that made him, the the foreign soldier in charge, you know, change his mind in such a radical way about who Jesus was. Because maybe if we can see a little bit of what the centurion saw tonight, maybe we can move from merely just doing our religious duty on Good Friday to actually being in awe and praising God with him. So what can we say? Well, what did the centurion see? Well, first we see, that he saw someone die in a supernatural way. Now, don't get me wrong, it's important that we point this out, that Jesus had a a human human body. He died in most ways, just like normal human beings do. He uh, experienced pain. Not only that, but he slowly lost blood through the wounds that he received. Eventually, his lungs stopped breathing. Eventually, his heart stopped pumping. His brain ceased its activity, and then his soul departed from his body. And it was just a corpse hanging on the cross. There's that moment where we all, who have seen someone die, know that, okay, they're no longer there. That's just a corpse now. And Jesus went through that process. And yet the centurion had witnessed many people die. And so it wasn't the horrors of seeing someone die that made him change his mind. But there were other things that were going on that showed that this wasn't just the natural course of events. Something normal was not happening. One of those things was that there was a strange darkness that came over the land in the middle of the day. And for people who are outside more than we are, they were used to different weather patterns and what normal daylight and darkness is like. And so they all thought something was very strange about this darkness that came over the land. And not only that, but when Jesus died, there was an earthquake. Now, can you imagine being there and seeing someone take their last breath and then feeling the earth shake? How, what an experience that would be. And both of these, you know, you could say if they happened on their own, man, that was a strange coincidence. But both of them together made it clear that there was something going on at Jesus' death than just merely another condemned person dying in their execution. This was somebody that the Lord of the sun and the weather, the Lord of the crust of the earth cared about. And so perhaps we think Jesus was just another human teacher a religious leader who just died for a cause, just like everyone else does. But when we see that what the centurion saw, we see heaven and earth shook at the death of Jesus. This was not merely a human being dying. This was a man dying in a supernatural way. This truly was the son of God. What did the cynical, death acquainted centurion see during Jesus' crucifixion that made him experience such a radical change of mind And we saw that there was some abnormal phenomenon that Jesus died in a supernatural way. The sky was darkened in the middle of the day and that the earth shook upon his death. And yet the abnormal phenomenon didn't convince everyone. Many who saw it didn't change their minds. And so what else did the centurion see? Well, the centurion saw someone die with a supernatural love. As someone who was used to seeing people die. He was likely used to seeing people shout out cries of vengeance as they died. People who were uh, protesting their innocence. People who were uh, mad and bitter towards those that got them into this position. Or perhaps they saw, he's seen people die self-absorbed in their own pain, where they can't think about anyone or anything else other than making it through the pain that they're experiencing. I know, too, that when I feel wronged, my first reaction is to get mad. And Jesus was certainly wronged. He wasn't guilty of any of the crimes that they accused him of, not deceit, not blasphemy, not rebellion. And not only that, he was put through a trial in an unjust and unfair way. It was an illegal nighttime trial that they wanted to have in order to avoid a popular backlash against their decision. They also put forward false witnesses. They also you know, manipulated the masses in order to cry out for Jesus to be crucified. And those who did have the authority to determine whether Jesus should be executed or not, they went against their own laws and their own consciences in order to order his execution. And not only that, but Jesus was unfairly and unjustly treated all along the way. He was beaten, spit upon, mocked. He was scourged, whipped 40 times. He was wronged grossly. And all he had tried to do was to love people. All he had tried to do is to tell people the most important truth that they needed to hear whether they wanted to hear it or not because he loved them and he helped people and he healed people and he'd spent all of his life loving people and this is how he was getting treated by people. You can imagine the anger and the bitterness that you would experience in that kind of situation. And yet the first words that Jesus uttered on the cross were forgive them father for they don't know what they're doing. See, that's amazing love towards those that are mistreating you. Not only that, but how do you respond when you are tired or hungry or have a headache? Right, I know I'm not the best version of myself when I am in those situations. Snickers seems to have made a lot of money off of their advertising campaign saying how we're not the best versions of ourselves when we're hungry, right? We're hangry or whatever it might be. And yet... Jesus was not the worst version of himself. He would have been exhausted being up all night. He would have been hungry, having not eaten. He was in intense pain, but he was not the worst version of himself. When people were shouting at him, seemingly delighting in the fact that he is experiencing pain and being killed on a cross, he took it all in silence. Even the thieves who were crucified next to him were joining in on the mockery. And yet... The moment that one of those thieves has a change of heart and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus doesn't remain bitter towards him. Well, you were just mocking me a little bit ago. He is not angry towards the fact that you're guilty of the crime you committed. I'm innocent. Jesus forgives him quickly and tells him a great promise that today you're going to be with me in paradise. That's a crazy love that Jesus showed to those who've wronged him. And even when we are in intense physical pain, it's hard to think about anything else, much less care and worry about anyone else. And yet one of the things that Jesus did on the cross was he made sure that his mother was cared for by telling one of his disciples to take care of his mother. So even for this centurion to just see Jesus die in these six hours... He didn't see somebody that he considered to be a hardened criminal. He saw someone that he regarded as a good man, someone who must have been innocent of the charges that they accused him of. So he said he's innocent. But what's also amazing is here he sees somebody that, you know, who loves in a way that he cannot understand because here Jesus was at his own worst moment and yet he loves in this way. And it was mind-blowing to a man who knows what people are like when they die. See, this is the all that we should have. This is the all that we should have, that no one has died so well as Jesus. No one has been so loving towards those who are mistreating them as Jesus was. No one is so quick to show grace at the feeblest act of repentance as Jesus was. No one is so caring towards others amidst their own pain as much as Jesus was. The centurion saw that supernatural love and asked, who can love in that way? This is no mere human. And so perhaps we've come here tonight doubting that God could really love us after what we've done, after who we are. Perhaps we're at a spot where we need to admit, I haven't. Than the person that I should be. And perhaps that makes us afraid. And yet here we need to look at the one who's the most loving man who has ever been. Even at our feeble apologies and acts of repentance, Jesus is right there, ready to love and forgive us. Truly, this man was the son of God. And so before we consider another point of what the centurion saw, let's stop and sit in this and think about the love that Jesus showed us on the cross. So let's return once again to the question of what made this military man from another country serving the Roman Empire declare that the Jewish man that he just saw die must have been the son of God. And we've seen that he he saw someone die in a supernatural way. That he saw the sky darken in the middle of the day. He saw the earth shake. And we also saw that he saw someone die with a supernatural love who was able to show love and mercy in his own worst moment to those who were mistreating him. But he also saw something else. He saw a man die with supernatural courage. See, most people, when threatened to, you know, they use their own power to flee or to fight back. That's what adrenaline naturally does in our body. When we're in scary situations, our body gets flooded with adrenaline and it's fight or flight. Often our first instinct is to lie, to get out of trouble, or when we're backed into a corner to do whatever it takes to get out of that situation. In the history of humanity, there've been a few people, handful of people who have faced death bravely, but no one has so willingly walked into such agony and done it so willingly when they had the power to stop it, as Jesus did. You see, the centurion said that this was the son of God. So something along the way must have convinced the centurion that Jesus really was the son of God, that he had the power, therefore, to stop what was happening to him. You know, and not only that, he's seen the skies darken, he's seen the earth shake. So if that's happening, then surely he could have stopped this execution. And those of us who know more of the backstory of Jesus's life in the centurion, we know, well, that's nothing, he calmed storms, he healed diseases, he had power over spiritual forces, he turned water into wine, he did miracles from a distance, even just willing it to happen. This was someone that we know claimed to be the son of God and showed himself to be the son of God many times over. Yet the religious leaders and the soldiers mocked him saying that if he was really the son of God, then he would come down from the cross. And here's the deal. They were halfway right. They were right in saying that in the sense that if Jesus was the son of God, then he would have the power and the authority to stop this from happening, to heal himself, to get himself out of this situation. There's other times in Jesus' life when he does seemingly do that. And yet, you know, what we see instead, though, is they're wrong in thinking that if he was the son of God, that he would choose to come down from the cross. See, this, that is one of the main things that the Gospel writers want us to see about the death of Jesus, is that he went to it willingly. See, there's three separate times that the biographers of Jesus' life record that Jesus told his disciples, look, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested and I'm going to be put to death. You know, he wanted his disciples to know that no one is taking his life from him unwillingly, but he is laying it down at his own choice. Some have wondered why Jesus died so quickly on the cross. Why is it that the two thieves didn't die, you know, live much longer while being crucified on the cross and Jesus died before them? You know, one possible answer is, is the amount of physical pain and torture he had endured throughout the whole process, being scourged and whipped 40 times, being beaten. And perhaps it was just a sign of the amount of mistreatment he endured that he died sooner. But the other possibility of why Jesus died so soon was that he was not holding on to his life, but he was laying it down. Because there's something even mysterious about the last thing that Jesus says on the cross, and the reason is it's because the way that you die when you're crucified is ultimately from suffocation because when you are hanging from the cross, you cannot breathe. And the only way you can breathe is if you stand on the nail that's been driven through your ankles, but that causes incredible pain. So eventually you just get too tired and exhausted and you just give up and you suffocate. And that's how you ultimately die. And so if that's the way you die, what would be unusual is the way that Jesus died at the end. He shouted out his last words. He yelled, Father, Into your hands I commit my spirit. That is because it was not a cry of defeat, but a cry of victory. So the supernatural courage that Jesus showed when he had the power all along through the whole process, through the trial through the the walking and carrying the cross, through while being crucified, that he could have stopped it at any point along the way, but he kept enduring it and he kept going and kept enduring. And he walked through that with such courage to the point of death itself. It would have been a sight to see someone die with that amount of courage. And that's exactly what the centurion got to see firsthand. And he was amazed. But why? Why did Jesus willingly lay down his life? Well, Jesus told his disciples why he was laying down his life in Mark 10, 45. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. And so there's a way that Jesus as the son of God. He deserves to be served, but that's not what he stepped into history to do. He came to serve us to meet our needs by paying A ransom, which means that we have all been enslaved willingly by our own choice. We have enslaved ourselves to our own selfishness, to our own self-centeredness, to an autonomy apart from God to call the shots for our life. And therefore we're stuck in it. We can't make it right on our own. And the tragedy of turning our back on God is that we've isolated ourselves. We've alienated ourselves from the one who's given us life, the one who is Lord of our life, and we've chosen instead death. And that's where we all are. We're all in the process of dying somewhere along the way. And what stands in front of us is eternal death. But Jesus willingly endured the cross and willingly died in order to pay the ransom, the purchase price to bring us back to God. And why would he do that for me? When I think about what I've done, when I think about who I am, why would Jesus lay his life down for me? It's humbling. There is a sorrow that we should have as we think about this night that happened 2000 years ago, because we realize the price that Jesus had to pay, what he had to endure in order to win us back. And yet, even though there's sorrow, there's also awe-inducing praise because he did it. He did it for you and me. He did it to purchase us back. And so this is a man who has died like no one else has. And that should induce in us awe at what Jesus did on this day 2,000 years ago. Truly, this man is the Son of God. And so when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, this is what we're presented with, is that Jesus willingly allowed his body to be broken. He willingly allowed his blood to be poured out in order that we might be forgiven our sins. And this demands a response from us as well. Because will we receive the wonderful thing that he's done for us? Will we take it? And, and that's a choice that we have to make every time we take the Lord's Supper because it's more than just taking bread and wine. It's will we die with Christ and let go of our life of being autonomous? Will we, in calling our own shots, will we let go of our self-centeredness in order to be forgiven, in order to be made right, with God. And in order to be given life, that we might truly live the life that Jesus uh, paid the ransom price for us to live. That's the response that we should make to what Jesus has done for us. And so we celebrate it with a humble sorrow awareness that it's our sin that made him have to lay down his life. And yet we also are in awe and praise that this is the one who died in a supernatural way with a supernatural love, with a supernatural courage in order to ransom us back. And so as part of taking communion this evening, if you would like to celebrate in such a way as to give to the needs of those in our community who are in need, then there are mercy offering towers at the exits as you leave, if you would like to contribute in that way. And so the night before Jesus was crucified, He took a loaf of bread and he did this as an image, a tangible image so that they would know that he is willingly laying his life down and how they are to respond to be forgiven. And so he took some bread and he broke it saying, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat. And so I'm going to say a line. Then if you'll say the next line with me, the the bread that we break is a sharing in the body of Christ. And say this with me. We are one body and we share one bread. Go ahead and eat. And then As another way to help them to understand what he's getting ready to do. He took a cup and he took the wine and he poured it in the cup. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So the cup that we drink unites us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so say this with me, we have died together we will rise together and we will live together. And so please stand as we celebrate what Jesus has done for us. Heavenly Father, we confess that we do not think enough about what you've done for us. We don't respond in the way that we should to what you've done for us. And yet even in that, we cling to the love and the mercy and the forgiveness that you made possible by Jesus dying on the cross for us. Lord, would you create in us and stir in us in awe at what you've done for us. Would you transform us and change us so that we might live the life that Jesus died to make possible for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. So may you, being rooted and established in love, have power with all of God's holy people to understand and grasp how wide and long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Amen. Thank you for joining us tonight. Hopefully we'll see you on Sunday.